Amen. Well, good morning, church. I hope you're excited to be here this morning. I'm excited anytime we get to gather together and worship the Lord and, um, and, and hear the Word of God. It just excites me. And uh, so everything we do here is about connecting people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. That's honestly our greatest desire for you, whether it be through worship or through praying for you or through uh, teaching the Word of God, small groups, kids ministry, student ministry, everything we do uh, really has one purpose, and that purpose is to connect you and people like you to a growing relationship uh, with Jesus Christ. And so uh, one announcement before we get started in on the, the message this morning. Uh, so today, after this service, uh, right after this service, uh, we are going to have an interest meeting uh, for the Athens church plant. And so if you've been here uh, the last few weeks, you've heard that uh, part of this 1-8 project that you've uh, been giving to some of you and, and some of you guys have heard about it. Uh, one of the things that we want to accomplish through uh, that is planning a church in Athens. And so Dustin, our associate pastor, and his wife, Rachel, are going to be moving back up to Athens where they're from uh, to plant Connection Church Athens. And so uh, with that, we're praying that some of you guys would go with them, right? Yeah, you heard me right. I'm not trying to get rid of you, uh, but we're praying. And we know that as they go and plant up there that they're going to need some people who uh, know the heart of Connection uh, who want to go and help make disciples, and we've been praying that God would move on your heart uh, to be a part of that. And so uh, this interest meeting is not about people who are 100% in and ready to go. Uh, this is just if you're interested, that can be interested in giving, that can be interested in praying for them however they need it, uh, that can be uh, knowing someone in Athens that could be a part of this church, or it can be going with them. And so if, if that's you and you have any interest in that, uh, right after service at about 1230, over in the conference room uh, near the kids' check-in area, uh, there will be an interest meeting for that, and we'd love for you uh, to be a part of that. So if you've got your Bibles, I want you to open up to Acts chapter 18. Uh, Acts chapter 18 is where we'll be this morning. Uh, if you've been here, you know we've been in this series called Sent, where we've been walking through uh, the book of Acts. Uh, hopefully by this point you're learning more and more about uh, the book of Acts. Acts is the story of the early church. It's a historical book that pretty much just tracks... Uh, the, the guy, pretty much the, the layout of the early church, right? And so we started by seeing Jesus die on a cross, raised from the dead, come back, meet with his disciples, go back to heaven and say, hey, you guys wait, you'll receive power, uh, power being the Holy Spirit, and that's going to empower you to go out and be witnesses uh, locally, domestically, and to the ends of the earth. And so what we've seen the rest of the book of Acts is how the gospel started in Jerusalem. It spread it out towards Samaria, and now it's gotten all the way to the ends of the earth. Uh, in Acts about chapter 9, we met a guy by the name of Paul, who probably you've heard of. This guy is the same guy that wrote the majority of the New Testament. And uh, he was radically saved. He was a persecutor of the church, but then God saved him and turned him into the biggest missionary, the, the church planner, biggest church planner still to this day that the world has ever seen. And so we've been studying him and really following along as he starts to plant churches in other places. We've seen him go uh, to multiple places already, and today he will be in the town of Corinth. So let me pray for us, and uh, we'll start in verse 1 in Acts chapter 18, and we'll uh, see what the Lord has for us. So Father, we uh, thank you for this morning. Uh, God, we thank you for each and every person in this room. God, we're just excited and humbled to be uh, here in your presence, and uh, God, we know that your word is powerful, God, it's living and it's active, and God, it speaks directly to our hearts, so Lord, I know uh, so many different people in this room right now, God, that they come in with 
a ton of things going on, a lot of circumstances, a lot of um, just personal matters going on. So, Lord, I pray, um, God, that your word uh, would be faithful to sufficient to meet them exactly where they are, which I know it is. God, it says, your word says it's faithful to teach, to correct, to train, and rebuke. And so, Lord, I pray that it would do just that this morning. Lord, open our ears to hear from you and uh, help us have the courage to take a next step. In Christ's name we pray. Amen, amen. I got a little throat thing going on, so if I drink a little bit more water than I usually do, just bear with me. Acts chapter 18, verse 1. Here we go. So before I get started, hold on, let me, let me set this up a little bit so you can understand. So one of the things I want to do today um, is you'll notice as I read this passage that there's going to be a ton of different names, right? So you're going to hear some names that probably you may not know how to pronounce, and I'm going to do my best to pronounce them. Um, but also, one of the things I want you to see is that uh, this, this church of Corinth that Paul is coming in here to plant is made up of a bunch of everyday normal people, just like you and I. And uh, God is going to speak to Paul in a vision, and he's going to give him a promise. And uh, this promise is an extraordinary promise uh, to people who are leveraging their life for the gospel. And so one of the things I want you to see is I really want to highlight the different people in this passage uh, that this vision that God had given Paul and this word that he had spoken to him to encourage him would have been encouraging to all the different types. And so I want you to hear it and see it. And uh, here we go. Verse 1. It says, After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome, right? So you meet Aquila and Priscilla. That's the first couple I want you to think about. Aquila and Priscilla uh, lived in Rome, but because of their, their religion, essentially the, uh, Claudius had made them move, and they had relocated, relocated to Corinth and met Paul, right? So Paul went to see them, verse 3, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade Jews and Greeks, right? So another thing we learn about Aquila and Priscilla, they're tent makers. Well, Paul also happens to be a tent maker, and because of that, uh, they met one another and started working together, and uh, most people believe that Paul led them to the Lord uh, at this point. And what happened from there is uh, Paul actually was a bivocational pastor, right? So he preached on his off time, but he also was a tent maker until uh, verse 5 happened. So when Silas and Timothy came, that's the next people I want you to highlight, Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah, right? So uh, we know Silas and Timothy, if you were here a few weeks ago during the 1-8 project, I preached about 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, which was about an offering that was coming from the church at Macedonia uh, to support Paul while he was in Corinth, right? Uh, this is the same offering. So Silas and Timothy had brought this offering, and they had given it to Paul so Paul could, could basically become a full-time preacher so that he could reach more people uh, so that he didn't have to work. And so Paul, Silas and Timothy were the mailman and the carriers of the offering. Verse 6, uh, but when Paul, when they opposed Paul, he's in the synagogue preaching, but when the, they opposed Paul and became abusive, Paul shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. So Paul, of course, as he always does, gets frustrated pretty quickly with the religious people. And uh, that's pretty much as good as cussing at them and leaving them, right? So uh, that's pretty much what he did. Verse 7, then it says, Then Paul left the synagogue, and he went next door to the house of 
uh, Titius Justus, right? A worshiper of God. That's the next name I want you to underline. And then verse 8, Crispus, who was the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized, right? So you got Titius Justus and Crispus. Both of these people were heavily involved in the Jewish synagogue. They heard the message that Paul was preaching. Titius Justus stepped up and said, hey, we can just do a small group in my house. Paul, come on over here. Keep preaching what you're preaching. We believe it. We want to reach our friends. And then Crispus, who was the the actual synagogue leader, he was a big deal, right? So he was the preacher of one of the preachers in the synagogue. He believes and kind of leaves. And so you you can uh, rest assured the religious folks there did not take very kindly to that. And uh, he risked his life and believed in Christ and came and, and was a part of this small church plant that was beginning in Corinth, right? And because of them and their willingness to step out and follow Jesus, what we see happen is that many other people believed and were baptized because of this church that had just started in Corinth. Verse 9, one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. God said, do not be afraid. This is, this is big. I want you to, this is, this is the main part of the text. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you and no one is going to attack you and harm you. Because I have many people in this city, Corinth. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. This promise is incredible. I mean, you, you got to hear it and, and hear it for what it is. Paul was a guy that had come to Corinth. Uh, at this time, Paul had pretty much been to four or five different places planting churches. And during those times, these experiences weren't very easy for Paul. You know, Paul had been beaten. He'd been put in jail. Uh, he, he had just not had a very good experience. I mean, people were not taking too kindly to the gospel message, the fact that you're a sinner and you need to repent and stop living for yourself and live for God. That's a very offensive message that God's given us to share in a lot of ways, and people don't like it. And so what would happen is the religious people in most of these cities would basically get mad at Paul, beat up on him, throw him out, and he would go to the next place and share the gospel. So by the time he gets to Corinth, Uh, Paul had actually already traveled about 3,000 miles, 2,000 of them most likely by foot and about 1,000 on a boat, right? And so all sharing the gospel as a 50-year-old man, right? So uh, he at this point had become almost, it seems, as if he had gotten discouraged a little bit, right? And you can imagine a lot of times we put Paul on this pedestal and assume that he's like Superman, Paul's a normal guy like you and I, obviously accomplished a lot for the kingdom, but man, if you go into four or five different places and get beat up and put in prison, it takes a toll on you, right? You start to become uh, a little worried and a little afraid, which is why the, the vision from God starts out with do not be afraid. Why would he tell him not to be afraid? Because he was afraid. So the question we have to ask is why was Paul afraid and why was this promise so uh, big to Paul. Why was it such a big deal? And, and so here's what I want to do today. I really want to look at this promise, and I want to look at it from two different angles. I want to look at it, one, to uh, the fact that this, this, this promise that God has given Paul is, is true for us too, right? So anything we read in the Word of God was given to specifically for us as well, right? It's, it's, we need to understand the context of it, but we can believe the promises of God the same that were true for Paul or true for us, right? And so here's the thing I want you to understand. It should encourage us, and it should also challenge us, right? So what do I mean? It should encourage us because, listen, if we're leveraging our life for the gospel, if we are literally, we have, our life is about Christ and about Christ's mission, then this message should fall on us and be the most encouraging message we've probably ever heard, 
right? And so on one side, as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, as a disciple maker, as someone who's leveraged, leveraged in their life for the gospel, this should encourage us. But on the other side, one of the things that I felt like Lord, the Lord really pressed into my heart on this when I read it was that a lot of us, when we read this text, it's not that encouraging to us because we are not leveraging our life for the gospel. Because when we think about our life, literally, uh, we're not afraid of nothing. We're not sharing with anybody about this. There's no, there, there's no opposition happening in our life. All of these promises that we're going to see that were true for each and every one of these people in Corinth, they're really not true for us because we are kind of living a lifestyle where the mission of God means nothing to us. Because we see people uh, that are missionaries or people that uh, really live their life for Jesus as radical Christians. But what I want to show you this morning is that what we see as radical is actually normal Christianity in the Bible. And so as we begin to look at Scripture and come face to face with the book of Acts and see what God is doing through normal, everyday people like you and I who are willing to put their yes on the table and say, God, whatever, whenever, I'm willing to do it, Lord. My life is not about me anymore. It's about you and doing what you've called me to do. God begins to do some incredible things with those people. But what happens in a lot of times in our culture is we back off of that and we say, well, yeah, that was true for them, but for us, it's just a little bit different. Like, I can still continue to live my comfortable, me-centered lifestyle, label myself as a Christian, and everything be fine. But when we come face-to-face with the Bible, the Bible has a lot to say about that, and we have to be able to be challenged and have our heart open to what God has for us and really really ask ourselves the question, Do we want to live out our plan for our life, or do we want to live out God's plan for our life? And I can tell you from experience, God's plan is way better than your plan, no matter how you feel about your own plan and what you're trying to do. So here's what I want us to see. What a promise that God had given Paul. It was a promise of God's presence. It was a promise that no matter where Paul went, that God would be with him. You know, And I want you to think about how would your life be different if you believe that God wanted to be with you wherever you went, if you believe that he had in, in deposited the Holy Spirit into your life so that he could be present with you and his presence could go with you wherever you went, it was also a promise of protection. God said, listen, hey, Paul, nobody's going to harm you here. I have people here that I want you to go after and save, and listen, I'm going to protect you. How would your life be different if you believe the hand of God was on you to protect you as you go about the mission of God, it was also a promise of God's harvest, right? God had had told Paul, I want you to think about how motivating this would have been for him. He says, listen, Paul, I have people in this city that are going to believe because of your message. It's like that promise that God has where he goes before us and prepares people's hearts. It's so incredible. I wish I could tell you every story uh, so many times as I preach up here the gospel and, and preach about Christ and who he is, and I give an invitation at the end for somebody to get saved, uh, most of the time our prayer team, uh, every time our prayer team grabs them and wants to help them and get any kind of resources they need, and obviously I love to hear about those stories and what's going on, but most of the time it's usually not my message that they respond to to get saved. 
Usually God has already done something in their heart or God has already prepared them so that when I share the gospel message and ask them if they want to say yes to Jesus, boom, they say yes to Jesus. But God has already prepared them before, long before they ever got and sat in this room for 30 minutes and heard me preach. And so that's what God has given to, to Paul. He says, listen, man, there's many people in this city, and I want you to know that as, as Paul would have received this, and he would have gotten this vision. It would have been one of the most encouraging things in his life. Have you ever gotten, I say a word from God, but have you ever just heard God encourage you or press something into your heart as you were reading the Bible with him that was just right on time? You know what I'm talking about? It could be maybe a song that was sung right at the right moment, or maybe it was uh, you reading in your, in your time with the Lord, and God just gives you a verse that's exactly what you need to hear when you need to hear it. This is what would have happened with Paul when he received this, because think about it. He was at a place uh, where he was worn out, man. He, he had been through the ringer and back, and God gave this to him uh, to, to encourage him, but not only gave it to him, he gave it to the church at Corinth. And so what I want to do today is I want to introduce you, so to speak, to the Corinthian lineup. Right, So uh, there's a lot of them that we see in here, and you may not know a lot about each of these. You probably know a little bit about Timothy and probably know a little bit about Paul. But what I want to do is just stand before you, and I want to show you each of these lives that make up the Corinthian church. And my hope in doing this, I want to put my cards on the table, is that you would see that God has, is, and always will use ordinary people like you and I to accomplish his work in the world. There's no reason to look at people in the Bible and elevate them above yourself. Because, listen, it's never been about the person. You got that. It's never been about who the person is. It's been about who the person's God is and who exists in the person, the power of the Holy Spirit to accomplish what we cannot accomplish on our own. And so I want to introduce you to uh, five or six of the Corinthian members. And then I want to show you how this message would have encouraged and challenged them and then I'm going to turn it back around on you at the very end and begin to ask, would this promise be true for you right now as you live your life? So the first one that I want to introduce you to is a guy by the name of Paul. Many of us know about Paul, right? We know Paul wrote the majority of the New Testament. We know uh, that Paul was an incredible missionary. We know that Paul was a church persecutor that turned into a church planner. Uh, we know that Paul killed Christians before Christ, and God saved him and began to use him to reconcile and save a ton of people. Paul was an extremely big deal in the New Testament and somebody definitely that we uh, should look up to. But again, here's what I want to remind you of. 1 Corinthians 2, Paul writes back to the Corinthian church about his experience in Acts 18. And what he says is that when he came to Corinth, he came with fear and trembling. Right, And so a lot of times we don't think about Paul in this light, but he said when he got to Corinth, he came to them and presented the gospel in power, but he came to Corinth in fear and trembling. So you got to begin to ask yourself, why would Paul show up to Corinth with fear and trembling? Well, we've already talked about one reason. Well, think about it. This is a guy that probably had already stopped at about four or five different locations. Everywhere he went, he was beaten, he was stoned. And he was thrown down, beat up, or either thrown in prison for what he was saying, right? So how many times of you sharing the gospel, being beat up, thrown in prison, would it take for you to be like, man, is this worth it? Like, do I want to do this on one hand, right? And so there would have been some discouragement probably going on. 
you know, it wasn't anything that Paul didn't know because when God saved Paul, God had already told him, listen, Paul, you're going to have to suffer many things for, for my name, but you're going to do some incredible works in my name as well. And so Paul would have known that, but that still doesn't take away the fact that he was human and that being beat up and stoned and put in prison would have discouraged him a little bit. And so he came there with fear and trembling. But then on the other hand, here's what I want you to know. Corinth was the Las Vegas of this time period, right? Corinth was kind of known as Sin City. If you read the book of Corinthians first and second and read that letter and just see what Paul's addressing there, there's some crazy stuff going on, right? So uh, think about Las Vegas. What do people go to Las Vegas to do? I'm not saying everybody, if you've got family in Las Vegas that lives in the suburbs, I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about normal people. When they say, hey, we're going to Las Vegas, they're talking about gambling. They're talking about sexual immorality. They're talking about, I mean, the, the, what, whatever they can do to pleasure themselves in this world, right? Pretty much the epitome of sin. That's why you go to Las Vegas, right? And that's what people do. Well, the same thing in Corinth. Corinth was a town just like that during this time period. Corinth was a place where sexual immorality was rampant. I mean, it, most people say that the church was literally right next to a temple of Aphrodite where literally people would go and worship God, their God, and then they would have sex and just these big orgies everywhere, right? And so it was just something. And they thought they were offering themselves to God by doing that. It was just a jacked up place. And so when Paul went in there, literally, can you think of Paul going in and thinking, man, all of these places that I've went to before this were mild in comparison to what's going on in Corinth. And I went in with the gospel. They beat me, tried to kill me, threw me in jail. So I can only imagine going into literally the, the, the top of the top worst sinful, most just depressing places you could ever go with the gospel, people that were going to be against this idea of living for themselves. I can only imagine what's going to happen to me there. But God had sent him there, right? And so you can just think about Paul walking into Corinth. I mean, he just gets there. He's already with fear and trembling for, for these two reasons. But then God comes to him in a vision. And in that vision, he says, Paul, do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack or harm you, because I have many people in this city. Can you imagine him receiving that? I want you to know that, listen, listen to this. Between the years of 49 and 52 AD, Paul traveled approximately 2,000 miles by foot and about 1,000 miles by boat. That means that, nearly, uh, that this nearly 50-year-old man walked the equivalent of the distance between Vadea, Georgia, and Denver, Colorado, just to tell people about Jesus. I'm telling you, this message from God would have encouraged him so much the same way as we embrace the mission of God in our life and we begin to try to leverage everything we have for the gospel, it would encourage us. The next people I want to talk to you about is Aquila and Priscilla. How many of you guys have heard the name Aquila and Priscilla before? Uh, this is, these people are mentioned all throughout the Bible, but you've probably never even thought about them, but I want to share a little bit. These are normal, everyday people. This is a couple, right? So you have Aquila is the guy, Priscilla is the girl. I kind of like their names. It flows real well. Um, but here's what you need to know. These guys were uh, Jewish refugees, right? So Claudius in Rome had sent them out because of their beliefs. I think the Jews at that time were, were doing, having some uprisings or something, and so Claudius got tired of it and said, all right, you guys can go somewhere else. Uh, they were tent makers by trade. Historically, most people would say these guys were very profitable at their business. 
And so you can imagine, these guys, Claudius comes to them and says, hey, I know you got a multi-million dollar business, but hey, you got to go. Like they had to uproot everything and move thousand, a couple thousand, a hundred miles away to Athens, or not Athens, but Corinth. When they get to Corinth, they have no idea that God had, had in his sovereignty planned this so that they would come into contact with a guy by the name of Paul. Most people say that Paul led them to the Lord uh, when they got to Corinth, right? But here's the thing I want you to see. Again, this is a normal everyday couple that literally God moved from Rome into Corinth so that they could meet a guy by the name of Paul. Paul could share the gospel with them, disciple them, so that then he could begin to use them to do extraordinary things. What do I mean? What do I mean extraordinary things? Let me tell you a little bit about them. So in Acts chapter 18, which is where we're at, right after this in verse 18, uh, we see Aquila and Priscilla, they get on a boat with Paul and go to Ephesus. And when they get to Ephesus, what happens is Paul actually leaves them in Ephesus to be a part of the church there, to kind of give it some stability. So they begin to come in here and, and, and provide stability to a church that needed more stability, right? While they're there, what happens uh, is they encounter a guy by the name of Apollos. Many of you have probably heard of Apollos. Apollos was a, a great preacher, right? In the, current, the book of Corinthians, uh, they kind of compare Paul and Apollos. Basically, some were followers of Paul, some were followers of Apollos, but he was a pastor of that time. But here's the thing, when uh, they found Apollos, Apollos was preaching the gospel, but he was only preaching the gospel up to John the Baptist, right? He was saying, you guys need to repent and believe in Christ. He didn't know anything about the Holy Spirit. He was kind of preaching a pre-Pentecost gospel. And so uh, uh, Priscilla and Aquila find him and say, hey, God, hey, listen, this is something that happened. God did this at Pentecost. Now all believers can be filled with the Holy Spirit. So when you share the gospel, you need to be sharing about the power of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit can do as he saves people and begins to work in and through them, right? And so they correct Apollos. Well, guess what happens with Apollos? He moves back to Corinth and begins to pastor the people in Corinth, right? So again, God uses Priscilla and Quilla, a normal couple just like you and I, to not only help start a church in Ephesus, but also help get a healthy church in Corinth. Not only that, we see him mentioned again in 1 Corinthians. So apparently, uh, not longer after that, Priscilla and Aquila moved back to Corinth and they hosted the church. It says that the church met in their house, right? So let's fast forward. A normal, everyday person like you, not only have they been a part of planting the church in Corinth, they've been a part of planting the church in Ephesus. Uh, now they've come back, and now they're, they're hosting the church in Corinth, right? Not only that, we see them pop up again. They're everywhere, right? Romans chapter 16, Aquila and Priscilla pop up again. Guess what happened? I guess at Corinth, God spoke to them and told them to go back to Rome, or they saw a need for the gospel in Rome. They moved back to Rome. Guess what they do in Rome? They host the church, right? So obviously they had enough money to buy a big house because the churches always start in Aquila and Priscilla's house. And so their availability and willingness to say, hey, God, wherever you need me in the gospel, I'm willing to go. If you need my house, you can have my house. If you need us to travel, we're willing to travel. Listen to what one commentator says about Aquila and Priscilla. He says, Aquila and Priscilla were sojourners whose movement suggests that they didn't think of any spot on this world as their home. Instead, they remained open to the will of God, refusing to limit their lives to whatever might happen within a certain circle they had drawn on a map. While their vocation likely contributed to their mobility, it was ultimately their commitment to following Jesus that caused them to go from city to city. 
Their experiences are a reminder that while the Lord may sometimes keep a couple in a certain place through their marriage, he takes others on complex journeys reminiscent of Aquila and Priscilla's. So what do we learn from them? Treasure Jesus. Follow him and wherever he leads you. Because wherever he is and wherever he's called you to go is where you want to be as a Christian. What can we learn from Aquila and Priscilla? We can learn, listen, this is who God has called us to be too. They're not somebody to separate out and say, man, it looks like they just really never got settled down and got home anywhere. It just looks like wherever the gospel needed them, that's where they went. That's what God does with normal Christians. Listen, God wants you to think about where does God need you to be? Not where do you want to be, not where are you comfortable, but what is God calling you to do and where is he calling you to go? Because anywhere you look in the gospel, anywhere you look in the Bible, when somebody sees Christ for who he is and treasures him for what he's done and who he is, realizes they were created by him. They were created by him, but sin had separated them from a relationship with them. And God reveals himself, and they say, man, I want Christ. I want to be in a relationship with him. I, want to, I realize I was created for him and by him, and I want to know him, and I want to live for him. In that moment, what happens is their yes goes on the table. And they say, God, I've seen you for who you are. Whatever you want of my life, I'm willing to do it because your plan is the best plan. But listen, what our culture teaches us to do, and probably what most of us believe in this room, is that we can have Jesus as Savior, and we don't have to have him as Lord. And what do I mean by that? What I mean is, listen, we can literally follow Christ, but still do whatever we want to do when we want to do it. But the Bible actually calls that something. The Bible calls that sin. And that's what God has saved you out of, right? And so, but here's the thing, for a lot of us, when I talk about that, it's offensive because we have this lie in our mind. It's the same lie that Adam and Eve had in the garden, the same lie that all of us struggle with, that my life will be better if I can do what I want to do when I want to do it. And think about it. That's a very promising lie. Think about it. It sounds like freedom. The only problem with that is true freedom is you doing what God has created you to do. I think about it like this. It's almost like a fish. right? What if a fish came up to you and said, man, I really want to live a life on land. That'd be awesome. You know what I mean? These humans, they get to go around and they go to eat and they do whatever they want to do all the time. I'm stuck in this just pond all day and just swimming around and doing my thing. I really want to try to live on land. And so they come out on land. What happens to them? They die because they're created to live in water. Each of us are created by God to live up under the lordship of Christ. That's why he's created us. He actually created us to find abundant life up under his authority and under his leadership. But listen, the lies of sin tell us the exact opposite, and we have to begin to see that. And when we come face-to-face with the gospel of Jesus Christ, it brings us to a crossroads. Will I live for me and my plan? Or will I live for God? And that decision is the decision to follow Jesus or follow yourself. The next people I want to tell you a little bit about are are Silas and Timothy, right? So many of you have probably heard the name Timothy. You know that there's a book in the Bible uh, called 1 and 2 Timothy. Uh, You know that Timothy was kind of Paul's uh, son in the faith, so to speak. He was the guy that Paul raised up. Uh, he was the guy that Paul wrote to on his deathbed. Uh, Timothy pastored the church in Ephesus. Um, 
but you may not know a little bit about Timothy and Silas uh, from the beginning. You know, so Silas first comes on the scene uh, really in Acts chapter 15. And so what you see there in Acts 15 is the Jerusalem council has just met. They've just decided that, hey, uh, that, that the gospel, you know, they've kind of confirmed with all the churches. Uh, there was some, some hostility going on between the Jews and the Gentile believers. And they said, hey, listen, we don't need to make it difficult for the Gentiles to come to faith. Salvation is by grace through faith alone. And so they needed to spread that out uh, to the churches. And so they said, hey, is anybody willing to take this message to all the churches and let them know uh, that, that salvation is by grace through faith alone, right? You, that doesn't sound very controversial, but at that time, that was a very controversial topic. Guess who raises their hand? Silas. I'm in. I'll be the mailman. You let me know. I'm ready to go, right? So first time he shows up on the scene, Silas is just saying, hey, there's a need. I'll meet the need. He was a see a need, meet a need type of guy. First time Timothy pops on the, on the, on the scales in Acts 2 as, as uh, Paul is about to go on a missionary journey. John, Mark, and Barnabas have just gone one way. And uh, Paul says, hey, anybody want to go with me to help plant a church? Timothy says, yep, I'll do it. Paul says, listen, you can come under one condition. I'm going to a place where if you're not circumcised, they're probably not going to listen to what you have to say. So I know you're a 20-year-old man, but I'm going to need you to get circumcised. I'm out, right? That's what most guys in the room are thinking. What does Timothy say? No, whatever, whenever, I'm ready. Gospel's for it, right? So circumcising, boom, he goes with them. And that begins Timothy's plan uh, to, to really God's work in Timothy's uh, life. And so what we see happen later on is, let me show you again, Silas and Timothy are normal people, everyday people just like you. Literally, there are tons of Silas and Timothys in this room right now. There are people that love God. And they're just saying, God, wherever you need me, if you need me to serve in kids for the gospel to advance in Vidalia, Georgia, I'll serve in kids so that a parent can be in here uh, to hear the gospel. If you need me to lead a connect group, by God, I will learn how to lead a connect group so that I can disciple other people. It's people that are just willing to serve wherever. And that's where Silas and Timothy were. But let me show you what God did with their heart as they put their yes on the table for that. You may not know that Silas uh, was with Paul in Acts 16 uh, when, when, when Paul was put in prison. Uh, Blake preached it a few, few weeks ago, uh, when, when, or actually Eric preached it a few weeks ago, but Paul was put in prison while, uh, a few chapters ago, and uh, there was an earthquake, and you remember the chains fell off of all the prisoners? Silas was with Paul, right? And so God used uh, Silas in an incredible way, the same way he used Paul, broke him out of jail, to continue to grow him. Not only that, but we see Silas pop up again in 1 Peter. 1 Peter's a book written uh, by Peter, but most people would say 1 Peter was written by Silas, and, and Peter was telling him what to write. He was a scribe, so he helped craft that. Not only that, uh, but we see Silas pop up again in the book of Thessalonians, where literally Silas, Timothy, and Paul wrote the book of Thessalonians together. So we see that later on, Silas became a church planner and a pastor, and he began to lead people effectively. Not only that, we see Timothy, right? So Timothy, as you guys know, uh, became Paul's right-hand man. This guy literally started as a servant that was willing to go and be a missionary and go and go wherever the Lord wanted him to go. Boom, he steps up. God starts working in his life, and he becomes a huge, impactful person for the kingdom of God just because he was willing to say, God, whatever, whenever, I'm willing to go. The theme we've seen all throughout the book of Acts is that ordinary, everyday people God will and does choose to use to do incredible things. The only requirement 
is faith and the ability to put your yes on the table. It's incredible. And then we see some guys, uh, Titius Justice and, and Crispus, and then you can find another guy named Sosthenes uh, in there, and I'll, I'll kind of flash forward through them. Not too much to that, but I want to show you there were normal everyday people too, right? So you got uh, Titius Justice and Crispus. They were kind of heavily involved in the Jewish church. And, and so what happened is they heard the gospel message. Everyday normal person just like you responded. Uh, Titius Justice basically said, hey, I'm willing to host. I got a house. Your small group wants to meet here. Come on in. Because of his hospitality, Many people in Corinth came to know the Lord, right? You got another guy that you see pop up, Crispus, who was a um, Jewish synagogue leader. He pops up. He gives his life to Christ, begins to leverage his influence. Many people in Corinth came to faith because of him. Don't you know he went back to the, the religious people and were like, hey, what you guys have been getting is not the gospel. Let's show you what the gospel is. You see a little bit later a guy by the name of Sosthenes was another Jewish leader that got led to Christ, and he actually goes through and, and, and really gets abused down here because of his faith in Christ. But don't you know that Sosthenes was probably led to Christ by Crispus as he did that. And later on, what you see with Sosthenes is that in 1 Corinthians 1.1, Paul writes to the Corinthians, but he addresses the letter to Sosthenes. So what you see is that Sosthenes becomes the pastor of the church in Corinth. So what I'm telling you is that normal, everyday people like you were the prime candidates that God used to plant churches all over the world. He's the prime candidates that God used to save people all over the world, right? God has not designed you to just sit in a seat and not do anything. God wants to do something in you so that he can do something through you. It's all over the book of Acts. So here's how I want to end today. I just want to make this applicable to you. And I want you to see that literally this Corinthian church was just an ordinary family that had been transformed by the gospel. It was a group of people just like you and I who would put their yes on the table and God began to work in them and through them. And when God would have spoke to them and gave them this promise, it wouldn't have just been for Paul. Don't you know Paul would have stepped up and said, man, I got a vision from the Lord and this is what the Lord told us. He said, listen, do not be afraid. You keep speaking the gospel. You keep sharing the gospel. Do not be silent. I am with you. And no one is going to harm you or attack you. And I got many people in this city that are going to come to faith because of what you're doing. Can you imagine coming out of church and Billy stood up and said, I got a word from God. And this is the word from God. He came to me in a vision and he spoke this. Could you imagine how empowered you would feel to go out into Vidalia and knowing that there are many people in Vidalia, in Tombs County, that are going to come to faith because of what God is doing in you and in the people in this room. You'd be looking. You know what I mean? You, hey, you'd be walking in the restaurant to eat. You'd be like, where's he at? You know what I mean? You would be prepared. That's how God wants us to begin to live our lives. Listen, the same promise that he gave to Paul is the same promise that's true for you and I today. It just takes us being willing to say, yes, God, I'm in. God, I'm willing. I'm going to quit living for me, and I want to live for you. It starts with surrender. So my question for you today is this. Are you living are you living out God's plan for your life, or are you living out your own? 
What, what are you living for? When you look at your life and the purpose of your life, is it all about you and your plan, or is it about God's plan? Is it about you aligning to him? Listen, to be a Christian is to align to God's plan. That's why it, the Bible only mentions the word Christian a few times. It mentions the word disciple a lot more. What is a disciple? A disciple of Jesus is a follower of Christ, a student of Christ. It's somebody who's learning about Christ and trying to live as he lived. God's plan for your life is to live sent. God's plan is for the advancement of the gospel to be your greatest priority. Where you work, as a parent, as a friend, as a neighbor, God's plan is for you to live for the advancement of the gospel. God's plan is for your yes to be on the table for whatever he may be calling you to do. So here's what I know about every person sitting in this room today, that God is calling you, if you are a Christian, to live sent. So that's not the question. The question is, God, how are you calling me to live sin? Is your heart open to say, Lord, whatever, whenever, God, where are you sending me? What do you want me to do? What is your plan for my life? And listen, that takes you being in a growing relationship with Christ because God speaks to our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit, through his word. That's how he communicates us so that we can know the plan of God. I can't tell you what God's plan is for your life, as bad as I would love to. But I think some probably would just walk out and not listen to it anyway. But here's the thing. God will speak to you and lead you. That's what he wants you to do is he wants to literally, he puts the Holy Spirit in you as your counselor, as your advocate. Literally as someone to walk beside you to counsel you through life and show you where he wants you to go. So here's the thing I do know is that God's next step for each person in this room probably looks different. For some of us, God's calling us to surrender our life to him for the first time. We've never done that. We've always known Christ as Savior, but we've never surrendered to Christ as Lord. We've never heard that God wants to do a work in us so that he can do a work through us. We've never heard that God doesn't just want to save you out of hell. God wants to save you for his purposes. And so here's the thing we have to begin to understand, that surrendering to Christ is the start. Putting our yes on the table is the starting point for where God's plan starts in your life. I'm not asking if you go to church. I'm asking, have you surrendered your life to Jesus? For some of us, God's calling us to invest our life into someone else. Christian, there's, there's, there's one final command that Jesus gave us before he left. And that command he says this, I've, I've been, he says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. And lo, I'll be with you always to the end of the age. Acts 1.8, right before he left, what did he say? Hey, you wait, you're going to receive power from the Holy Spirit. When you receive that power, it's going to empower you to be witnesses. Same thing. Make disciples, witnesses, to show Christ who he is and what he's done to other people. Where? Judea, which is where they were locally, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Locally, domestically, and internationally, to the ends of the earth. It's God's plan for your life. And listen, how does it happen? The same way it happened with Paul. Paul invested his life into Timothy. Guess what happened? 
as, as Paul taught him how to follow Christ, Timothy was raised up to do incredible things for God. Aquila and Priscilla raised up Apollos. Apollos became one of the greatest pastors in the Bible. It's the same thing. God wants to use you to invest your life. Listen, and I know what you're thinking. Billy, I don't know enough. Billy, I still struggle. They still struggle too. I still struggle. But listen, it's not about you. It's about who's in you. Listen, invite people into the process. All of us are in process of becoming more and more like Christ, every one of us. And what people around us need is somebody to say, hey, come into this with me. Let me show you how to grow. Let me show you how to repent from sin in your life. Let me show you how to love other people. Let me show you how to be a mom, a dad. Let me show you these things. Listen, for some of us, our next step in this room is to invite somebody over for dinner. And then ask them, hey, can we begin, let's, let's read the Bible together. Listen, I would, I would have loved when I was your age to have somebody that would teach me about life, that would teach me about Scripture, that would teach me about following Christ. For some of you, 100%, no doubt about it, that's your next step. Honestly, if you are not investing your life into somebody else, I can tell you, you don't even have to pray about it. God's next step for you is to begin to invest your life into other people. That's what he wants you to do. And if somebody's not investing into you, maybe that's the next step. You need to get somebody to invest in you. Maybe you need to join a connect group where somebody can begin to care for you and shepherd you as a follower of Christ. For some of us, God's calling us to quit trying to find security in our own plan and begin following God's plan for our life. Listen, for some of us in this room, we have our whole life mapped out. I'm talking from the time we get married to the time we have kids, how many kids, what job we want, how much money we want to make, what kind of house we want to live in, when we want to retire, heck, when we want to die. And you know who I'm talking about. Listen, there's a tendency in me to want to do this too, but God has not designed you to be the planner of your life. The point of Aquila and Priscilla is they didn't have a clue where God was going to call them next. They were just, God, where do you want me? Where does the gospel need me? I'm willing to go open-handed to what God wants. For some of us, I can feel the weight on your back trying to follow the plan that you've created. And your plan and God's plan are not the same thing. God doesn't work like that. He don't come to you and say, hey, here's what your life's going to look like for the next 50 years. He comes to you and he says, hey, here's your next step. Not a hundred, just one next step. Right now, here's what I want you to do. It's called living by faith. That's why faith is not the same thing as sight. So for some of us in this room, it's time for us to surrender our plan and say, God, I'm not living my own plan anymore. I'm ready to follow yours because yours is better. You know me. You created me. You want to use me for your glory. For some of us, God's calling us to take a God-sized risk or a next step. Listen, here's the thing about next steps. They're never, they're never comfortable. I've never met somebody that said, Billy, thank you so much for preaching on next steps, man. It's exactly what I needed, man. I was so comfortable when I took that next step. No. They don't tell me until six months later. And they're like, Billy, I drove around that house at Connect Group about six times. I was scared to death. I didn't know what I was about to walk into. I knew that I needed to go, but I just didn't want to go. But man, I showed up. It was the best thing ever happened to me. So nobody knows. Hey, Billy, I, man, 
I felt like the Lord was telling me I needed to go and help you plant a church in Bidea. But I didn't know. I was scared. I was uprooting my life. Let's, I have these conversations all the time. I want you to think about people like Micah and Lauren, which is a couple that we're about to send to North Africa to go start a church and make disciples in North Africa. They're less than 2% Christians there, mostly Muslim. Anybody in here would feel comfortable moving their life with two young babies to North Africa to try to make disciples. Oh, by the way, you don't know the language. And by the way, you have no experience with the Muslim culture at all. Anybody, anybody want to say, yeah, that's doable? No, it, it's a difficult thing, but God has spoken to them and told them that's where they need to go. So listen, we're doing, going through the process. They're learning the language, learning about the Muslim culture. They're moving their whole family over there in the spring. And they're going to do what God's called them to do. Listen, Kate and I, we were living in Augusta. We were happy. Big city, nice. Everything was cool. She was in school. We could have got a job, settled down. You know, we were comfortable where we were. God started laying on our hearts. Hey, we want you to come back to Bidea and plant a church. She don't want to move to a small town, number one. Number two, I'm like, I don't want to move home. Nobody wants to move back home so unless you're a failure at life, right? So, And so that's my logic. I'm sitting there thinking that. And so then I keep walking and, and kind of keep praying about it and praying through it. And guess God just keeps confirming it and confirming it. Listen, I look back. That was one of the most uncomfortable moves I ever made. I had no idea if this thing was going to work or not. I, don't, I still don't know what I'm doing. I just read the Bible and do what it says. It's, I still don't know. But now I look back five years into this thing. It was honestly the best thing I could have ever done. God's plan was way better than my plan. I've seen so many people come to know Christ. But listen, I couldn't see that. All I could see was the next step. And so for you in this room right now, I know God has next steps for you. And listen, it may not be something he's just putting clear, but you need to be pursuing God to figure out what his next step is for you. So right where you are, I just want you to bow your head. So Lord, I pray, God, right now, Lord, for the people in this room, Lord, I pray for their hearts. Lord, I pray that God you would give them your desires. God, you would give them your heart to see. God, I pray that a promise like we've just read in Acts 18 would fall on their heart the same way it fell on Paul's. God, help us leverage our life for your mission. God, help us see your plan is the best plan for our life. God, and help us take the next steps that you're calling us to take. So, Father, we love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you all for being here, and we'll see you back next week.